I invite you to take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're using a Bible there in front of you, it would be uh, page 907. Um, I think it's important for me to acknowledge um, that I also have not dyed my hair through the years. Um, <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be reading this text in a moment, but uh, I'm just going to take about one minute to, because some of you, may, many of you are here that don't know Ralph well, may not know him at all, and we're talking all about Ralph. I just want to give a quick timeline, a little bit of his background. Ralph grew up in Haddon Heights, New Jersey, uh, an athlete. Uh, he was a Football player, benched 350. I know that because his girls have told me. Um, very good base- baseball player, basketball player. Had scouts look him at as a pitcher. Uh, he was also voted the shyest in his senior class, um, even though a great athlete. Outdoors is big to Ralph, always has been. If you've ever been up in Maine, you have seen this scene where he's standing in a canoe. I don't know how he does it. He, he stands there for hours, it seems like, fishing. Um, Fishing, hunting, big part of his DNA as is going up on the mountains up there. Um, Married Ruth, um, we had the privilege of being at their wedding. They were at our wedding, and we had met at Baptist Bible College. I had met Ralph there. They have two girls, Elizabeth and Joanna, and uh, that's Elizabeth. She was on the keyboard this morning, and Joanna just shared with us. And these are their grandkids through their girls. Ralph served at Grace Bible Church. Uh, I met him at Baptist Bible College because he had gone from a secular university where he was studying criminal justice and transferred to BBC, feeling God's call on his life to the ministry. I had done the same thing from a school in Indiana, um, and we met at Baptist Bible College. He was coming down on weekends to serve at his local church, Grace Bible in Barrington, as a youth director. Later became youth pastor upon his graduation. At the graduation, I went on to seminary in, in Indiana, then came back three years later. By that point, Ralph had been made the senior pastor at Grace Bible because the pastor had left, and they had asked him to become the, the lead pastor And I became a church planner in this area. Eventually, Ralph came over to FCC. I'll mention that a little later, just how that came about. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 is the passage I'd like to read from this morning. It's a passage that talks about Paul's view of being available and being useful to God. And it's it's a striking passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the man who penned it, Paul who lived 
and breathed Christ. Lord, thank you for the reminder from him that the treasure is Christ. And that we're the jars of clay. That the all-surpassing glory, the greatness might seem to be Christ. Lord, in these few moments together, teach us from this passage, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis was once telling, in one of his books, tells the story about three friends, close friends that he had. And as he talks about them, he said, as middle-aged men, they had developed a deep bond of friendship in Christ. And one of them unexpectedly, surprisingly died. And he said, the only consolation I had in the loss of this one friend was that now I might be able to more fully get to know my two other friends. But he said something unusual came to my awareness. And that was that my friend who was now gone had actually provided access to things about my other two friends that I didn't get without him there. That we tended to, in our foursome, each bring our part of providing access to each other. And so he said, remarkably, the loss of my one friend actually diminished my awareness of my other friends in certain areas of their lives. The people that I do life most closely with are the people that have most given me access to my greatest friend, Christ. They have shown to me things of him that I didn't see myself, that I would not have seen, but through my relationship with them. This passage is a passage, a powerful passage of the gospel, of gospel ministry. But I would say that my friend Ralph has helped me to understand parts of this passage more than anyone else has. There are two features in this passage, two words, one is a phrase, that are highlighted by Paul. The first word is the word, and they're both in verse 7, the word treasure. The second word is jars of clay. He says, we have this treasure that has been entrusted to us, that has been given to us, we who are simply clay pots or jars of clay. The word treasure here in verse 7 is actually referring back to verse 6, where we find what the treasure is he's talking about. He says, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. That through Christ, he says, we have come to see God. We have come to know him and walk with him in a way that we didn't before, in a way we couldn't before, until we actually have seen the revelation of the Godhead through the person of Jesus Christ living, walking among us. In Christ, we come to know God. And Paul says this treasure of knowing God in this way through Christ has been, has been entrusted to us into our lives. I'm going to move forward or I'm going to strangle myself. <laughs> I, 
I've learned a couple of things, and this morning I'm talking from the text, but I'm going to be a little more personal with my illustrations towards a person. I've learned through my friend, Ralph, that failure helps us to see this treasure. My own failure was actually the existence, the the means of that. A number of years into ministry, Ralph was now uh, on staff with us. He's the only other pastor with me. And we came to a season, it was the 10-year anniversary of my marriage. I won't tell the whole story, I've told it before, but basically it was a time in my life as a guy, a young man, where God revealed to me the, allowed me to see the utter failure of my life uh, as a husband, as a pastor, as a guy. And I was, I was a broken man, and I was ready to bag the whole ministry thing. Who, I, I, who am I to tell anybody anything? And Ralph pursued the potential of us getting away for six weeks in, in Maine, at Michigan, which we did. And as we were leaving, he handed me a book, and it's called Principles of Spiritual Growth. And he said, when you get time, read this. He knew the failure I felt, all that was going on in my life. He understood my journey far better than I did. And I went and got up in the north woods of Michigan. It was the heart of February, the heart of winter. They get 200 inches of snow up there. It was beautiful, but beautiful on the outside. But things were dark in here. And I took out that book the second morning I was there, and I started to read. And on page four, I came across this phrase, Failure is one of God's primary means of spiritual growth. And I wept because I had never been more qualified to spiritually grow. And the book challenged me and directed me to the teaching of the scriptures, the New Testament, that often it is our needing to be brought to the place of our own inability of our own insufficiencies to cause us to see it's not about us. It's about Christ that I wanted so much to be accepted as Mark in what I could do and how I could perform, but that I was already accepted in Christ to the one that ultimately mattered. Ralph, in that book, in all those conversations in that season and countless ones since then has always been the human influence that has most helped me to remember that my identity is the fact that I have been entrusted with the treasure of Christ. That our lives are to be lived Christocentrically and that failure is a gift in our lives. And if you're there this morning, embrace the moment, embrace the season Because failure is surely one of God's primary means of spiritual growth. The second thing I learned about this treasure through my friend was that valuing the treasure makes us humble, safe people. We took a trip up to Word of Life uh, uh, Institute camp uh, for a few days. We took a retreat many years ago. We had about 12 of us that went. And there were three of us, I think, as pastors on staff, and then we took a a few other couples with us, and the 12 of us went up. And I remember an exercise I had everybody do. I had everybody take in a circle. We all sat around, and I said, we're going to take time with each person, and we're going to share what it is that we most appreciate about them. And this was a time I was still earlier in my ministry, in my life, and uh, was at that time 
even more than now, opinionated, willful, and could be dominant. And so they're going around, and they go, and, and Ralph comes up. And I can still remember what one of the people said. And this individual said, when I think of Ralph, Ralph is to me the picture of Jesus. Now, that would have been beautiful if they just stopped. There's this beautiful statement. Ralph, to me, is the picture of Jesus. But for some reason, the individual, I think, felt guilty in saying this nice thing about Ralph without saying something nice about me because, after all, I'm a preaching pastor, and I've been their pastor all this time. And so they said, Ralph is, to me, the picture of Jesus. And, and Mark is like the Old Testament God. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Ha! I mean, fire from heaven. I mean, 40 days and 40 nights of downpour upon you. I mean, but it was, yes, it was a humbling moment. It wasn't intended that way. But I remember processing that with Marianne and processing it in days to come and realizing what is it that is so compelling in an individual that you would say they're like the New Testament God, not the Old Testament God, or at least our perception of that. I don't think they're different guys, but we perceive them differently. And I think it is the picture of Christ that our treasure in Christ is we know God to be a God of kindness, a God who is safe, who is for us, holy, yes, but that even his holiness is, is manifested with a holy love, a holy mercy, a holy forbearance, that he is for us, that he is the ultimate safe person in anyone's life. And I've learned more about the treasure it is to know God through Christ, through my friend, to see a safe God, a kind God, a Christ-visualizing God. We have this treasure. We have this view of God. We know God this way because we've been given Christ. Jars of clay. This amazing treasure is given in jars of clay. Paul is here saying that, that this visual of knowing God in the, in the face of Christ is not entrusted to these resplendent, spectacular beings, not to cherubim, not to seraphim, not to the mighty warrior angels of God. It's entrusted to ordinary folks, clay pots. Of course, the term, the jars of clay, is referring to pots that were primarily used to put manuscripts in. There was nothing ornate about them. You didn't decorate them. They weren't, they weren't um, specimen items that you would have there in your home that you would sort of want to put the decor around. They were just back somewhere in a back room, just a storage place. The glory of the clay pot of the earthen jar was what was in them. That was where their value was. I've learned some things about what it means to be a jar of clay. I've learned, again, God has used Ralph to help me learn this, that jars of clay avoid comparing themselves with others. 
You don't picture these jars of clay thinking, wow, you know, you know I, I, I'm not as attractive as, as the other or I'm more attractive. No, no, that wasn't what they were. I mean, they weren't attractive at all. In themselves, their glory, what was in, what was in them, the beauty that was inside of them, that was entrusted to them. Remember years ago, and this was before Ralph had come on staff here, he was over at uh, Grace, and I was over here trying to get this thing started, and, and uh, we had a mutual friend that was taking a master's in divinity course with Ralph somewhere up north, North Jersey or New York somewhere, and, and he was telling me about an experience, and he said, we, he said, I was with Ralph, and everybody was doing what people tend to do and asking how big's your church and, and everybody's telling how big their church are undoubtedly tacking on 10 or 15 percent and, and uh, you know giving Easter Sunday attendance or such thing and, and so and he said and Ralph actually lied Ralph said like 20 percent of what their actual attendance is because I know how big the church is and I knew what he said and, and so I go and I said Ralph why did you say that why did you say the amount and he, he said I told them what our attendance is because they asked what's your attendance how many people come so I told them what our prayer meeting attendance is which at the time on Wednesday it was about 20% wasn't doing it to deceive them he was doing that because he didn't want to be caught on, on the conveyor belt of comparison I think that's what clay pots do, that we do everything we can to remember. I don't want to be in positions. I don't want to place myself trying to look better and, and to have to be the greater than. Both Ralph and I have talked many times. There's a, there's a guy named William Carey. William Carey was one of the fathers of the modern missionary movement. And he was going to go to India and his father, uh, father of modern missions. I mean, people didn't do this back then from Europe. And so he's going to go from England, and his father got with him, and he says, what do you, who do you think you are to, to go to a foreign country with a foreign religion? I mean, you don't know anything about, about international stuff or being in another place, and you don't have much skills. You're not a great orator. I mean, why? I think he was scared for his boy. And William Carey made this famous statement. He said, Dad, I can plot. We've We've talked about that a lot through the years. We've plotted together. We're plotting. No great shakes, no spectacular gifts, but we're plotters. And I've learned that. I've been reminded about our calling to just see ourselves as those that don't have to compare themselves with others. Jars of clay don't think it's about them. Years ago, Ralph was just coming on staff. He, he's a Jeep guy and always wanted a Jeep. And he, he'd taken off-road. And, and uh, so he said, will you go with me? There's a Jeep I found, a used Jeep, and I, I, I'm excited about it. So he went and looked at it, and I don't know anything. I mean, nothing about Jeep. I, I, I know they have big wheels. and I mean, I know a little more now than I knew then, but not a lot. So I'm sitting, and I'm just basically saying, yeah, that's a, that's a good-looking Jeep, man. And, and so, but he's, you know, he sees all the things about it and how it could be used and why the four-wheel will be so helpful in bringing the, the multiple deer he's going to be bringing out of the wood. And, and uh, so he bought this thing. And I, I knew he was a little uneasy about it. It was a big step. But, and uh, so a couple weeks later, 
I see Ralph come driving in this older thing, and I said, where's your Jeep? So I sold it. So you sold your Jeep? And he said, yeah. He said, I just didn't have peace that it was what Jesus had for me. And I remember it really struck me that he's serious. This, this is real. This, this Jesus is, it's all about Jesus. And jars of clay accept who God made them to be. Now, Ralph and I have some very clear similarities. You may not see them often or easily, but we do. We, all, we both share three very similar things. We are both willful, we are both competitive, and in our own ways, we both can be very tenacious. He does it in a silent assassin type of role. <laughs> I, I, I get more caught with mine. But, but we both love basketball, and we used to, when we first built our gym, we, we used to have one-on-one games. And, I mean, at least one a week. And we had a big Red Cross blood drive here. And we got a big trophy because we got so many gallons of blood that we're getting. What are they? Whatever. How much do you give? Pints. Pints of blood. And so we got this big trophy. And with apologies to Nick Remintoff, who used to be the president of the Tri-State Red Cross blood drive, I will acknowledge that I took the plaque off the trophy and I put my own plaque on, which was... Um, one-on-one cosmic champion. And whoever won the one-on-one that week got to display it proudly on their bookshelves. Now, nobody cared except he and I, but I, we, all, we both wanted the trophy that week. And we would go at it. I mean, and we, we were too cheap to turn the air conditioning on, so it'd be the heart of July and August, and it would just be a sweat fest in the gym. And one day, we were on the floor wrestling for a ball. And I mean, literally, we both can sweat. We were covered. There was, there was liquid <laughs> on the floor. We're, ro- <laughs> we're rolling around to get the ball. I and mean, it was so much fun. And we're doing this. And of course, my wife comes in. <laughs> so she walks in, and here we are. It's more of a mosh pit than a basketball game. And she's looking down. And I can still remember her saying, you two deserve each other, and left. (laughs) She left. So we have some similarities, but we also have great differences. And when Ralph was at Grace Bible, he had been made the senior pastor. And Ralph's gifts are primarily displayed in one-on-one ministry. He's a phenomenal personal evangelist. He really is. He's led many people to Christ He's a discipler. He's a counselor. These are, are, are who he is. It's who God means. And now he's a senior pastor of a church where he's preaching every Sunday, where he's leading the meetings, and it's killing him. At the same time, over here in Mount Laurel is, is young Mark, and God has called me to church plant. And I don't have any people. I don't have any groups. I need groups. And so I have nobody to lead. I, 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 everything I'm doing is one-on-one. It's small group. I mean, it's small, very small. It's usually one-on-one. And, and I'm realizing I'm not a great counselor. I'm not a great one-on-one evangelist. I, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling inadequate in this. And Ralph's feeling inadequate over here. And, and then God led Ralph to, against everybody at Grace's Bible pleading. He resigned and came over here as a layman. And eventually we were able after him being here two or three years, to call him on staff as our second pastor. 
And we realized that we were the ultimate complement, if you will. He had the puzzle pieces so blatantly missing for me, and I had some that complemented him. It caused us at that time to make a covenant with each other. We did this many, many years ago, and our covenant was this. Neither of us would ever leave, uh, would ever leave F- fellowship without the other affirming that was what the Lord wanted him to do. So, Ralph, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I, I do know. I do know it's what the Lord wants. But I thank God for the privilege of serving with someone who really is a soulmate, who really has filled the glaring, missing puzzle pieces in my ministry and life. And I I have had opportunities to go other churches. I've had people talk to me, as most pastors do, and I've never felt led to go, but I have always said to other people that knew about it or were praying with me or people that were just aware, when I, they would ask me, would you be willing to be considered? I have always said the same thing. I said, I would never go anywhere if God didn't give me another Ralph. Ralph and Ruth, I'm going to ask you guys to come on up. And Marion would like to be up here with us. She's just got some virusy thing going on. Um, we haven't said a lot in this service, except Joanna did, about Ruth. Last week at Collingswood, they, they deeply honored Ruth. But Ruth has been, in every sense, a partner in ministry to Ralph and to our church through that. She is truly soulmate for him and has been a servant to our congregation and a great friend to Marianne and I. Um, We have, over the last number of weeks, given the church family an opportunity to express their love for you guys through a monetary gift. Um, And all of the money that we're giving has come through that offering. And I just want to say to you guys, I'm really grateful for your, your response in encouraging them in this way. And so I want to give that to you guys. Now, would you just turn and model your outfit for a moment? Okay. Not surprisingly, Ralph is wearing his trademark overalls. And we are, when you want to honor a retiring player who has really contributed uniquely to the organization, what you do is you retire their number. And so this morning, we would like to retire Ralph's overalls. (laughs) 
That actually was my favorite part of the service. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We want to close our service. I mean, we, we are here honoring a servant of God, but more than that, we're honoring the God of the servant. And we want to close our time with a very beautiful hymn of worship to remind ourselves it is, this is all about Christ. It's Christ. So we're going to ask you to stand as we close our time to celebrate.
you. We say that you are above all else. Oh God, we worship you. We thank you for this time together. Pray these things in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.